0: Listening to First Church Charlotte. And it is my honor to teach the Word of the Lord for a little while. It's pretty much the best honor that any of us can be given. And anybody who takes time out of their week to come out and join uh, with a Bible study, uh, well, you're my kind of people. And I thank you for that. I love teaching the Word of the Lord. And I love going to it, and before I rush through it, I love stopping and giving myself this little speech, which goes like this. You're going to think you know what is going on here, and you're going to think you understand it because you've heard it a lot, but you probably are missing more than you're understanding. And then I read the little section <laughs> in the word of the Lord uh, that has, you know how the commentators will break it up into like subjects. There'll be like six verses under a subject. Then there'll be a subtitle, you know, uh, Jesus runs the money changers from the temple. There'll be like four verses under that. So then I get to the next section and I I give myself the little speech. Now I have it down to just a pause. I don't have to actually give myself the speech. And I I am a witness that every time that I pause in all the things I think I know, and I look at the text, and I just humble myself to trying to understand it, trying to not bring all the stuff I think I know to it, but just to open my heart to it. I'm always amazed at the beauty and the depth of the Word of the Lord. Do you love the Word of the Lord? All right, we are in Mark chapter number 10. We're going to read at verse number uh, 13. We are finishing up. You don't have, if you'd like to stand, you can. You don't have to, uh, well, let's have unity in the house. (laughs) Let's stand. All right, verse 13. Then they brought little children. Somebody said little children. To Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. Somebody say greatly displeased. Not displeased. Hacked off. Um, I want you to notice the style of writing that is in the gospel. It's, It's very concise. There's not a lot, lot of adjectives used in the writing of the Gospels. They write very concisely. Uh, you would even think tersely. They write quite tersely. It's not as though they show up and say, you're a beautiful, loving, glorious, fine example of a superior man. All those adjectives got thrown out. And the writer says, a man approached Jesus. Subject now, So, um when the writer does take the time to put, uh, adjective in the, in the script and he chooses the adjective greatly. Um, Jesus was a little bit irritated at this moment. And he says, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. <laughs> will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. So we're going to talk about bringing children to Jesus. Somebody say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed this romantic holiday. Um, I had a great insight into what it means to have been married for over 20 years and no longer be that insecure category of a newlywed, but to have walked many a mile. And today, my wife and I were exchanging gifts. And uh, after we exchanged gifts and we had wrote and written things that we you know really like about each other and that kind of a thing, we're having one of those awe moments and I know my wife is watching this on the, the live stream. And so when I get home, I'm getting punched. But until then, uh, I have time to up my life insurance policy before I get home. Anyway, we're like, have told each other these sweet things, you know. Uh, like she told me, you're probably the best Christian I've ever known. Actually, she didn't say that, but <laughs> I wish she would have. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, we're looking, we're like, we, we hug each other. We look at each other's eyes and she looks up at me and she says, uh, your eyebrows need trimming. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you've been married for over 20 years when you go from, I love you hugs to, Hey, your eyebrows need trimming all in the same breath. So I enjoyed that anyway. All right, Jesus blesses little children. This moment in Scripture is celebrated. We talk a lot about it. Uh, whenever children are dedicated, oftentimes this Scripture will be quoted. I have quoted it many times when dedicating uh, children, which is one of my funnest jobs as a pastor to do is to dedicate children to the Lord. Um, it is uh, appropriate to that, and yet it is more than just a kind of sentimental Scripture. Uh, and by sentimental, I mean something that makes you feel a certain way, like all or o oh, or the like it 's more than that there is a uh, fundamental uh, gospel truth, and there is a fundamental theological truth that is the foundation of this little uh, sentimental, sweet passage of Jesus not uh, rushing past the children but making a place for them so in light of that, if you will allow me, I want to very quickly remind you of something I want all of you to know. I want you all to be able to basically quote this in your own words, to anybody who talks about, at any level, Sunday school. I want you to be able to defend and celebrate Sunday school, not just as a religious function, but as a progressive, as a success of civil society function. Uh, with the rise of manufacturing, um, a lot of people moved from working in farms and fields into cities and worked in factories. Now, what did their children do the farm, those children had helped with the farm. Uh, There's an old saying that a farmer needs seven kids to have a successful farm. I don't know if that's true. I know very little about farming. I know how to go to Harris Teeter, but that's the extent of my farming. Uh, But uh, when you move to the city and you get a more profitable uh, job, uh, less prone to disaster, uh, less prone to risk uh, than farming, uh, you take your children with you, of course. What do they do in town? Well, at first first many years of the rise of the industrial change uh, in in western civilization the children went to work too and child labor was very very common and children uh, would work uh six days a week uh, and they would work ridiculous hours they would work sun up to sundown. now there was finally a law passed in the uh, i believe either late 1700s, early 1800s, where a child could not work more than 12 hours a day. Woo, man, they've just got to quit being so generous to children. So little children had to grow up very early, and they would go to work, and they would work in the oftentimes the same factories their parents worked in. They would just be used in a different job. There might be a job where a small person had certain advantages, and they would be worked there. They were not sent to school. Uh, they were raised working, and of course, uh, this had a lot of of disadvantages to them individually and of course to their families and to the larger society. And in the seventeen eighties it began there began to be this desire uh for uh, in some way to help these children that had no access to schooling, they grew up illiterate. They had no no path, and it started in the hearts of Jesus followers in the hearts of Christians. We need to do something for these kids. Their children, these children, they have no future. Uh, no one is teaching them anything, uh, and they had Sunday off. These kids had Sunday off, so churches churches uh, started schools, not primarily to convert. Children. to their particular theological uh, belief. They started schools to teach these kids to read. If you are illiterate, it's really hard to know much about theology or argue doctrine. These kids are starting literally from nothing. And I want you to see the hearts of these churches. We need to help these kids. We need to provide a a path for these kids. They are growing up illiterate. They know nothing about the world. They're working uh, 12 hours a day and so on. Sunday, the first Sunday schools started in I want to say in the 1780s um, in in uh, the United Kingdom, and soon after in Ireland, soon after in other uh, nations in Western Europe uh, that started in these late 1700s. By 1785, a quarter of a million children who were working six days a week were going to churches on Sunday to learn how to read and write. It was done as an act of love from churches to the needs of the community. The most missionary-oriented generation that has ever been a part of Christian history was, in many cases, adults who grew up in this age where churches were taking them in and teaching them to read and write. It wasn't until the 1870s, 90 years later, it started in the 1780s, it wasn't until the 1870s, even in mildly wealthy for the time countries like the United Kingdom, where school was provided for all children. Almost a century before the larger society saw a need to care for these kids who really didn't have much of a future. Rich kids uh, had no problem. They went to what in the UK was known as a public school. Or or excuse me, yeah, and it actually was a private school, but over there they call them public because they were public in the beginning. You just had to pay to go to them. It wasn't until almost the end of the 1800s that there was a change in the hearts of the larger society. Almost all of the great changes, now let me just couch this very carefully. Um, I'm not trying to say everything the church has done has been good. It most notably has not. In fact, whenever the church gets civil power, it shows its most ugly nature. Churches get it most right when they do not have the option of winning through power. They have to win through love. That is the gospel path when ch- when churches even so-called righteous individuals are given power they- soon follows things like burning people at the stake, things like the Inquisition. It was never in the heart of God for the kingdom of heaven to be built with a sword or built upon the ugliness of power. It was always a labor of love. And so when the church today falls over itself trying to love people, that is just a small sign that we're closer to getting it right than we are to getting it wrong. And so, so many of the big civil changes, whether it was, whether it, I don't want to name them all, but so many of them uh, started in the hearts of Christians. And the church is far from perfect. Not even, not even, not even this church is close to perfect. Although this church is closer than any other one that I am aware of. Especially on the subject of humility. We really get that one the best. Uh, (laughs) And so, um, you you understand, uh, I want you to be proud. I don't want you to allow a um, liberal-minded, secular-minded, humanistic mind take away the things you as a believer have to be proud of. You see what I'm saying? I want you to be able to be proud when you say you support Sunday school. I don't just support it with my own church. I don't just support it as taking my kids. But our church sends money around the world to support Sunday schools all over the world. That is true. You need to be proud of that because once you know that it was through Sunday school and good hearts of people who loved children really produced some of the most powerful changes of a social social nature in in the Western tradition tradition, it should make you feel proud to be a Jesus person and so this this history of of, of Sunday school this history of, of bringing the children to Jesus is, is is something we should be proud of but in this moment I want you to see how the disciples miss it uh, if you read this passage we read together uh, if you read it in the King James Version it's written a little bit stronger on that first passage um, where the writer says verse number 13 uh, they brought young children to him uh let me see, there must be another passage where, where one of the, the, the- The gospel passage says they continued bringing, uh, they continued bringing. I I believe it's maybe in the in the Hebrew in this passage. It's written fairly strong. The commentators say, in other words, uh, people continued bringing, and they weren't just bringing older children that Jesus could talk to. They were bringing the Hebrew word here is for infants, and uh, when they bring them to Jesus, Jesus actually takes them into his arms, which makes you think of somebody very young, not someone you can deliver a discourse to, not someone that you can give a lecture to, somebody that literally is a brand new life, looking out through young eyes, trying to make sense of a quite chaotic and and, and danger-filled world, and they brought them to Jesus. Parents want the best for their children. Parents will do the most they can for their children. I saw a news story today, and I always notice news stories like this because, um, you know, the news is so full of negativity, and it's not all that. Their fault. They're fighting for uh, their, their, their business lives. They really, as many of them going out of business, because they're having to compete uh, with the drama and the flash and the, the, the lack of editorial review of the internet. And they're having so much of the news business go around them that they're getting more and more excitable and more and more hyped because they're fighting for their, they're paid if you click. If you don't click, they don't get paid you see. And so um, I saw this story. It was a, a feel-good story. It's so rare. In fact, I like to call CNN the crisis news network because it's one crisis after another, and they're all that way. It's it's one crisis after another all day long. And so um, this one story told of a man who had been walking, I believe it was 11 miles to work every day because he had he didn't have a car, and he was literally trying to support his family, and he was walking. His co-worker Found out he was walking eleven miles every day and they got together and bought him a cheap car. Isn't that a great story? We don't hear enough about that. All parents want the best for their children. You if you want the best for your children. Um, you look back at things in your life and you don't you didn't maybe get all the advantages you would like to have, and you want your children to get those advantages. Um, and so it's natural for parents to bring children to the Lord, to be prayed for, and to be blessed. Um, but the disciples are irritated by it and they rebuke, as it were, these people for bringing these children. They rebuke them. And this makes Jesus very angry. Now, before we just write off the disciples, oh, they're carnal, never, they never get it right. They're all, before we do that, let's try to stand in their shoes for a moment. Why would they do that? Jesus, in the last few days, has told them twice that he's going to Jerusalem to die. If they have learned anything, it's this. We don't have much time. You understand? And if the reality is we don't have much time, then maybe you would be more sympathetic to the disciples for kind of editing who has access to Jesus. Do you see? They are starting to believe him now. He isn't going to be with us long. And because we're kind of in a hurry, and because we just don't have time, we are going to try to edit out the children from taking the master's time. And this makes Jesus quite angry. And he uses it as a teaching moment. And he basically says, look, it's more than simply us, us, you know, taking a moment to pray for these infants that are small enough for me to hold or toddlers that are small enough for me to hold this is how we should all strive to be through faith simple accepting trusting not in terms of the world but in terms of how we see our heavenly father You see, this isn't all he has to say on the whole child uh, thing and, and how we're to be relative to the world and how, how, whether or not we're simple. In fact, Jesus in one place says, uh, the, you know, basically the goal is to be harmless as uh, doves and wise as serpents. We don't take pride in the fact that we're gullible. And we don't take pride in the fact that we fall for everything and we're defenseless. You know, children have to be protected. Children have to be taken care of. We don't take pride in that. But when it comes to our Heavenly Father, we allow that childlike expectation. He's going to take care of me. He loves me. He keeps me. I don't understand how the answer will be given, but he is going to take care of me. Do you see? This is a teaching and when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, I want to be like a child where I just expect uh, good things. I, I have a little habit. I, I've told some of you guys this. I have a little habit um, in the mornings. I, I, I wake up pretty early, and I, I go straight. I make coffee. I go straight to my office, and I, and I, and I start working because I want to. I don't have to, but I, I, I just want to, and uh, that's just. I, so I go straight to my office, and I start working, and uh, about an hour later, my little girl, uh, she wakes up sooner than her mother, who her mother uh, very much. She loves her pillow. It's it's just a very very much thing, and uh, she will, likes to sleep in. She's not a morning person. I discovered that on the second day of marriage. I said good morning, and all you could hear was. <coughs> I've never said good morning to her again. She's not here to defend herself, so that's what she gets for staying home sick. <laughs> Double kidney infections not a good excuse, is it? I'm teasing, I'm teasing, poor darling. Anyway, what was I, oh, so Ellery wakes up before, uh, Charla does, and she, she comes down to my office because she likes to be with people, and she likes to push a chair right up against me, and I have another little office chair down there just for her, and she'll push that chair right up against me because I'm like a woman, I have a little heater at my feet. (laughs) That's a total chick thing to do, I don't even care, it's so comfy. (laughs) my feet a little feet a little heater she sits beside me she puts her feet down by the little heater and she will bring a catalog she loves catalogs and she'll open it up and she'll have whatever's on the page it'll be all this stuff they want people to buy she loves her mother's catalogs and so she'll sit there and she'll lean over to me and she'll say uh, daddy which one do you want and so I'll be working away and I'll look over and I don't care I don't care I just pick the first thing my finger hits on the stage on the page I say oh I want that one she says yeah Yeah. And then she'll say, and I want this one and 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 this one. I say, yeah, I can tell. I have no hope. And she'll turn the page. Which one do you want? And I want this one. And she'll say, yeah, I want this one and this one and this one and this one. one. (laughs) So what was I talking about? I have no idea. I don't remember. Oh, the sense of hope. A child believes that mom and dad can do anything. I was exp- I explained to Ellery that we couldn't afford something, which was my fancy way of saying no. I didn't know if we could afford it or not. I hadn't checked. I just said, oh, I can't afford that. And she said, Daddy, just get out your credit card and give it to them, and they'll give it to us. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that, baby. It's all better now. Children have such pure, simple faith. Your daddy can do anything. Your daddy can buy anything. Your mama can whip anybody. At least that's what my kids think. Um, So you get the idea. Um, This is this this simple faith. When we come into the presence of God, we should strive to have a simple sense of expectation that says my dad, my papa, abba, father knows what's best for me. And he's going to take care of me. And he's going to love me. That's the teaching in this moment. Jesus saying, look, don't push the children out. Learn from them. Learn from them. And so in this moment, in this moment, you see, uh, Jesus, uh, correcting his disciples and he takes the time in spite of probably their intent to say, you know, their, their actions basically say, we don't have a whole lot of time left. You know, Jesus is soon going to go to the city of Jerusalem and he's going to give his life. We believe him. We don't have time for children. And Jesus basically says, no, we do have time for children. In fact, we, it's almost as though Jesus says, uh, you know, this. This is the path to building the, excuse me, the kingdom of God. This is the path right here. And so um, I, I thought about that today, and I thought about how easy it is for us to uh, focus on adults and ignore children. And I'm so proud. I'm so proud uh, of our church's effort um, to to work in our our community to minister to our children. I'm so proud of our Sunday school and our teachers who. To invest in, in our children. I, I'm 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 proud of that. I think we are doing something fundamentally correct in the kingdom of God when we invest in children. Let me remind you of this 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 factoid that is true across all religious uh sect uh groups or denominations. eighty-five um, percent of believing Christians were positively introduced to faith as a child. Only fifteen percent of Christians are converted as an adult. That's why the uh, Jesuits Jesuits uh, in their in their uh, philosophy of of uh, church uh, building and in their, Projection of the church into the future. They always would say, if you'll give us a child for the first few years of his life, we will have them for the rest of their life. They weren't foolish when they said that. They were absolutely correct. When we positively introduced Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to children, if they have a positive introduction and they have a sense of church being a place that feels like home, uh, then they are much more likely to, as their life progresses, to come back to, come back to uh, uh, the faith and become believing Christians in in their life. And so, we as a church want to have, as part of our foundation, this this willingness not to rush past the children, not a desire to, to hurt on to the more important by our standards, the more important aspects. But we want to, we want to promote the kingdom of God through a willingness to engage, not just with children of a certain age, but with all children and do so in a belief that this is not simply the church of today. This is the church, the church of tomorrow. And so I wish, I truly wish I, uh, I, I see all of the kids as they come in. In, whether to our Sunday school or they come into our Wednesday night uh, ministry that has going on next door. Um, when I see them come in, I, I, I think to myself, I think to myself that I, I, I'm proud. I am proud to be a part of a church that will make an, an, an endeavor, an effort to help uh, the kids of the neighborhoods around us. I wish, I wish that we had, and I believe someday we will, because I believe it's in our hearts. I wish that we had a comprehensive system whereby we could show the love of God to all of the children of a several-mile radius uh, around our church. I wish that we could be uh, a, a, not just a lighthouse, but um, a city of refuge to to all of, of of the children in a in a radius around us. I, I wish that uh, whether it was Sunday school, I wish that our Sunday school got so, got so large uh, and there was such a sense of, of connection between our church and the kids and the parents uh, that we really had staffing problems and space problems. I wish that Prosper University got so large that it wasn't just in a certain age group, but, but we had subgroups that were specialist groups. I wish, I wish our church and I believe that the day will come when the Lord will give us This because I believe it's in our heart. I wish our church would become a a place where, if you were a kid, even a teenage kid who got in trouble in the law or got kicked out of school, and you had say you had anger management problems, I wish we had a a mentoring group for all of those kids in our neighborhood who they've never had a chance. They watch their parents explode with anger every time there was something wrong. They watch their friends fight, and they never had a chance. And we had a, a, a safe place, a mentoring place where we could teach them how to manage, uh, just using this as an example, anger management. I, I don't know how all of that would happen. I know those kind of things can take a lot of resources and the like, but I wish that people could say of our congregation and our church, of the same manner they said of Jesus, don't keep the kids away, but bring them on to the house of the Lord. We'll put up with them. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., and Bible Study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com, or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.